Welcome to Reality Geeky, the deprogramming program. I'm your host, Melissa Merlot, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. Because we are going to have some fun. You might be wondering what this podcast is about. Well, it's about mind control. Not the kind of mind control where you stare at a goat for so long that it explodes. <coughs> yeah, no. No goats will be harmed during this podcast. We'll be focusing more on the kind of mind control that the media likes to use to get into your head. Yes, of course the media has an interest in mind control. They just call it marketing. They want us to buy whatever it is that they're selling. They want to be able to influence our thoughts and decisions. Influence is just a warm, cushy word for mind control anyway. There's an old Roman saying... Give them bread and circus. That's what they said about controlling the masses. And boy, did they give us circus. We got plenty of circus. It's three ring circus. Government, religion, and the media. That's how I see it. But who's the ringmaster? Back in 1985, 90% of... The media, at least in the U.S., was controlled by around 50 companies. In 2019, 90% of the media was controlled by about six companies. Now it might even be less than that because I think some of those companies have merged. I mean, look at Disney. Disney owns about everything. So of course... Everything we see in the media is going to have an agenda. They own so many other companies, they got to make money for all those companies. And when you look at it just from a money standpoint, it completely makes sense. That's why you say it's all about marketing. But what are they really trying to sell us? So we'll be focusing a lot on marketing techniques in this podcast. We'll also be focusing a lot on propaganda. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, 
the burning weed with its roots in hell. I love me some propaganda. That was from Reefer Madness. An excellent film containing tons of propaganda about the deadly marijuana. You should check it out. So propaganda is kind of like the dark side of marketing. It's defined as information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. To me, it's just marketing. Marketing is propaganda, just like influence is mind control. Kind of taking the good with the bad, just depends on how you look at it. When I think of propaganda, I think of World War II and those kind of movies that came out around then. So that's where I thought it started from, but lo and behold, I was wrong. Let's go back to Rome. The term propaganda first came into common use in Europe as a result of missionary activities of the Catholic Church. Back in 1622, Pope Gregory XV created in Rome the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith. There was also a college of propaganda set up by Pope Urban VIII to train priests. The Roman Catholics are masters of influence. Good old Rome. So now that we know where propaganda came from, let's look at some methods of propaganda or AKA marketing. Once I read these off, you're going to notice them in commercials and TV and movies. You'll just, you'll see them pop up a lot. So keep an eye out for them. The seven methods of propaganda are number one, bandwagon. That's the follow the herd, be part of the in crowd, all the cool kids are doing it. That's that kind of marketing. They want to show people a group they want to be a part of or a place they want to be. That's what bandwagon is. Number two, card stacking. Card stacking is when you really build up the good and positive qualities of something and you focus on those and then you kind of ignore or cover up the negative things. It's like, don't read the fine print. Number three, plain folks. They're just like us. I can relate to them. They appeal to everyone. They're plain folks. That's just using, you know, everyday people to appeal to everyone. Number four, testimonials. Those are your celebrity endorsements. I only want to drink Yeezus vitamin water. I love Yeezus vitamin water because Kanye drinks it. I'm just kidding. I don't know if Kanye drinks vitamin water. I just made that up. But that's what testimonial is. It's celebrities, people in power endorsing something. Number five, 
Glittering generalities. That's your inspirational quotes. It goes for the emotional appeal, tugging at your heartstrings. It makes you feel good. That's what glittering generalities is. Number six, name calling. That's when you just put down your competition. Don't buy that product. That product is crap. Buy our product. Our product is not crap. You know name call. That's what name calling is. Number seven, transfer. Transfer or association is when you line up what you're selling with something that people already see as being good. So then they associate your product with that same good thing. It uses a lot of symbolism and it can be used to discredit something as well. You line something you're trying to discredit up with something that people consider negative. It's a lot of power of symbolism and transfer. So those are the seven methods of propaganda. Keep an eye out for those. I'll go over which ones seem to appear in our films today, so we'll be talking about it again. Okay, so each episode is going to focus on a film or films that had some kind of effect or maybe some obvious propaganda. I just really want to focus on movies that shook, movies that really had an impact on people. For good or bad, like I said, influence can go either way. And then... Just kind of break down the film and what came from it. And it won't always be just me. That's just today. I'll try to have guests so you guys don't have to just listen to me yap. But today I'm on my own. Well, not really. I have a lovely co-host from the Realitiki Bar. A very nice bottle of wine. It's a sweet bitch Merlot. Obviously, I bought it for the name, but it's actually really nice. It's from Chile, and it's more of a dessert wine than a Merlot, so if you tend to like sweeter varieties, you you might like it. So yeah, Sweet Bitch Merlot. They're not a sponsor or anything. I'm just drinking it, and I shouldn't have said a whole bottle because don't worry, the episode's not going to be that long. I'm not going to get too merloaded. So like I said, I want to focus on movies that shook. So let me give you an example of a few movies and what happened after they were released. So when Disney's Bambi came out, which is super cute cartoon, deer hunting in the U.S. that year was cut in half. Probably because people felt guilty, which, way to go. Score one for the deer. And when Jaws came out, beach tourism took a dive. 
which not surprising there's a giant shark in the movie doesn't really make you want to go swimming when Top Gun was released people started enlisting in the military bumped up their numbers a lot and the movie Philadelphia helped change the stigma around HIV and AIDS people started to be more sympathetic to the disease. So those are a few examples. So today we have a double feature. Our films are Fire Fraud, and Fire, the greatest party that never happened. Fire Fraud is the Hulu documentary about the Fire Festival. And Fire, the greatest party that never happened is the Netflix documentary. They go hand in hand. So you should absolutely watch both of them. It's almost like a timeline. Watch the Hulu one first because it does more of a deep dive into... Billy McFarland, the mastermind, quote-unquote, behind Fire Festival. And it shows you where he comes from. And then Fire on Netflix, their documentary kind of goes over a little bit more of the aftermath of what happened with the island and, and the people who work on the island after. So... So if you watch them in that order, it kind of helps you piece things together. And there's a lot of uh, controversy between the two documentaries, which we will talk about. But I wanted to pick them because I really wanted to focus on social media and the power it has. And it's brilliant. It's perfect for marketing and advertising. And it's excellent for mind control. Because we all have it. It's access to people on a level that the media has never had before. I mean, our phones are always in our hands or in our pockets. And just the fact that so many people trust anything that they see on the internet, which obviously no one who listens to this podcast is going to do because you guys are smart. I knew I'd attract the smart people. But you should question everything. In the words of Bill Cooper, do your own research. Obviously, I'm very into conspiracy theories. I'm also on a conspiracy podcast called Area 52. We're a lot of fun. You should check us out. But on this podcast, I'm going to try and keep it mostly around facts and, of course, opinions, because there's going to be a lot of opinions. But... The internet, it's just so powerful and you can do anything with it. So that's why I picked these two documentaries because Fire Festival is just such a good example of the power that social media marketing has. And the power of influence is just immense. I mean, now we have influencers 
which they're just like walking billboards. That's their whole job is to just live a life and post it online so people will want to be like them. Which to me, that seems a lot like some kind of programming. But it's something we all have to deal with now because that's just the world that we live in. Which is also why I thought it'd be a great idea to start a podcast about mind control because we live in such a time of influence that it's even acknowledged that we have this much influence going on around us, which is fantastic. So let's talk about Facebook for a moment. I found out about this study they did back in 2012, January of 2012. Let me get my notes because this is a professional podcast. So data scientists skewed what almost 700,000 Facebook users saw in their newsfeed for one week. So half of these users in their newsfeed, and the newsfeed is what you see when you first log on to Facebook. It's posts from your friends. It's a bunch of advertisements. It's just everything that you scroll through randomly. So everybody has one. You see it right when you open the app. So back in 2012, these data scientists took control of the user's newsfeed. And for half of those users, they posted, made sure they only saw posts that were happy or positive or uplifting to make them feel good. So half of the users got good posts. And then the other half got sad, depressing, negative, upsetting posts. And so these data scientists took control of the test group, the involuntary test group's newsfeed for a week. And then at the end of the week, they took down their findings of what the results were. And of course, the group that got the happy and positive newsfeed, they made a lot of happy and positive posts. And then the group that got the sad and depressing newsfeed made a lot of sad and depressing posts. It only makes sense, right? So Facebook released their study in the prestigious Proceedings of the National Academy of Science Journal. And they called it Emotional Contagion which that means you're pretty much trying to contaminate people with emotions. That sounds a lot like mind control. I mean, it's definitely emotional control. And this is back in 2012 when Facebook did this and collected data from it. And it's 100% legal because when you're a Facebook user and you agree to their terms of service... You relinquish the use 
of your data for data analysis, testing, and research. So they're legit in doing it. How creepy is that though? Emotional contagion? Activate transmission of misery now. But just think, that was 2012. How many other studies did they do like that since then? And just think of what they probably know and how they can use it now. And how they probably are using it now. Algorithms are a big deal. And I'm going to do an episode on them. And I wish it was a conspiracy-heavy episode. But most of the frightening stuff about algorithms is all 100% fact. And again, I'm not a technophobe. I, I love technology. It makes our lives easier. I don't really think it's good or bad. It's all just about how you use it. But crazy, crazy that they did this study. And of course it's going to work. I mean, it's emotional contagion. That works just from when you talk to somebody. If they're sad, they might make you sad too. Emotions can be contagious. Always use protection. (laughs) PSA, always use protection. All right, enough about that. We've got a plane to catch. We got to get to the fire festival. Here we are at the airport waiting for our private plane to take us to the fire festival. Are you as excited as I am? Did you see their post counting down till the festival? The one that said in four days you're going to be dancing on the beach? That's right we are. I hope we're in the right place. I messaged them and they never replied. And then they blocked me on Twitter. It's kind of weird. I saw a couple posts saying the event wasn't really going to happen. But it's all over social media. No way is it not happening. Oh my God. Is that our plane? That's a 747. No way is that private. Oh, well, it'll go to the island just fine. Woo, here we are. We made it to Fire Island. They're going to take us to a restaurant first before we go to our private villa. Isn't this restaurant nice? There's all those weird little kiosks everywhere with bottles of booze in them. And there's no bartender, so I guess we just take the bottles ourselves. Here's a bottle of tequila for you, bottle of tequila for me. Cheers, Fire Festival! At least there's tequila, right? They must have spent like $2 million just on booze. Oh, hurry, let's get to the school bus. It's going to take us to our villa now. This school bus driver is really bumming me out. He keeps talking about how awful where we're going to stay is. I'm sure he's just messing with us. At least there's tequila, right? Oh my god. Is that our villa? That's a disaster tent. 
Those only pop up when really bad things happen. Oh my god, our disaster tent is soaking wet. So's the mattresses inside of our disaster tent. It's a disaster of a villa. That's what they got us, disaster villas. I just paid $5,000 for a disaster villa. I wonder what else I can buy while we're here. I put $3,000 on this wristband they told me to get for excursions. I don't really see any excursions. I don't even see any bathrooms. I guess they expect us to go in the sand like a cat. It's not even really sand. It's more of a gravel pit. I'm stressed out now. Let's go get one of those cheese sandwiches I see everyone walking around with and a dry salad. I could totally go for a dry salad right now. Where's our luggage? Oh my God, those two semi trucks are just throwing suitcases into the gravel pit. Let's just go get our suitcases and go back to the airport and we'll just wait for a plane. They did not plan this well. Something is wrong here. Okay, we're at the airport. We're gonna get on a plane. Everything's gonna be fine. Oh, there's no planes coming until the morning. Why does that guy have a chain? Oh my God, they're locking us in the airport. There, There's a padlock with a chain on the airport door. I just paid $20,000 to get locked in an airport in another country and there's no tequila. Well, that was a fun trip. It's a lot more fun to pretend you're going to a disaster music festival than to actually go to a disaster music festival. So how did they pull it off? How did they get so many people to actually go to the island for a fire festival? Well, it was all their brilliant marketing. And the marketing was brilliant for a fire festival. They used social media in such a clever way. So Billy McFarland, the creator of Fire Festival, hired a bunch of Instagram influencers, flew them out to Norman Key in the Bahamas, which was the island Fire Festival was going to take place on originally, and pretty much just paid them to go out there and party while a production crew filmed it all. And then from all that footage, they made this really incredible promotion spot for Fire Festival. And then they hired Fuck Jerry Media to do all their social media marketing. And they did an amazing job of it. Their whole thing was they decided to stop the internet by hiring a bunch of Instagram influencers to post just an orange square on their Instagram. Because orange is kind of a 
bam, attention-getting, you know, Home Depot color, and you don't really see a lot of it. So having all these influencers with suddenly just an orange square would make people curious, and then if they clicked on the orange square, they would watch the promotional video for Fire Festival, and the video was gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful island in the Bahamas with the ocean, white sand beaches, gorgeous women everywhere. Who wouldn't want to go? It looks like a ton of fun. So from that alone, people wanted to go. Fuck Jerry, though, denies their responsibility for the disaster that was Fire Festival, claiming they were just doing their job because... They were a marketing company. Of course, that's what they're supposed to do. And some of the guys from Fuck Jerry even went down to the fire festival. So they were, they were a part of it. They kind of catfished themselves with that. So I can see how they don't want to be the responsible ones. They, they also claim to be a victim of Billy McFarland, and he has a ton of victims because he is really good at scamming people for money. That's pretty much what he's done his entire life. So the documentaries, the Netflix documentary is actually produced by Fuck Jerry Media and Vice. So obviously the Netflix documentary is going to have a little bit of bias to try and prove that Fuck Jerry was not responsible for the disaster in any way. Netflix denies that, and Hulu, their documentary, was originally going to be a series, but then they found out about the Netflix documentary and decided to release theirs as a movie, and so they did that four days before the Netflix one came out. So that's what caused kind of a stir because the Hulu documentary is claiming to be, you know, more honest, not leaning one way or the other because it has no backers like Fuck Jerry Media or anything like that that are going to try and sway the audience. But the Hulu documentary does have an interview with Billy McFarland. And Netflix came out and said they were going to have an interview with Billy McFarland too, but they didn't want to pay him for an interview since they were portraying him in such a negative light. They thought it would reflect badly on their film. Way to take the high road there, Netflix documentary. However, in a situation like this, I kind of wanted the interview. I wanted answers. I wanted to know, what were you thinking, Billy? Why would you do this? And the interview is intense, and he doesn't really have a whole lot of answers. He just kind of makes up more lies, it seems like. It's pretty interesting, though, to actually watch him answer their questions. 
So the Hulu one came out first, and then the Netflix one came out four days later. And since there was so much controversy over Netflix having Fuck Jerry Media be involved with their documentary, they released the following statement. We were happy to work with Jerry Media, that's Fuck Jerry, and a number of others on the film. At no time did they or any others we worked with request favorable coverage in our film, which would be against our ethics. We stand behind our film, believe it is an unbiased and illuminating look at what happened and look forward to sharing it with audiences around the world. Okay, Netflix. Good for you. Both documentaries are extremely interesting, so I recommend watching them both. Like I said, watch the Hulu one first, and then the Netflix one. Because Hulu will give you a more, like, at least in-depth background of... Billy McFarland, the mastermind behind the fire festival, quote unquote. So a brief history of Billy McFarland, he created Magnesis, which was a credit card club kind of thing where you would pay so much to be a member and they would transfer your debit card information from your regular debit card onto a very stylish, fancy looking metal card. So you could kind of impersonate having an American Express Black or one of the higher-end credit cards that are actually made of metal. And so that was how he got to be famous in such a big entrepreneur is from Magnesis. And once you joined, there was a Magnesis clubhouse in New York you could like go hang out at and... You could make reservations. You could get discounts on tickets. There were like all these perks of being part of the Magnesis Club, which is pretty much just having a cool looking card that makes it look like you have more money than you do, which, okay, sure, fine. But because of Magnesis, Billy met Ja Rule and Ja Rule had an idea for an app that he wanted to create called Fire. And that's where Fire Festival came from, was to promote the Fire app. So the Fire app was a way where anyone could select a celebrity for whatever event they had. It was giving everyday people access to celebrities for, like, their birthday parties or anniversaries or... I don't even know, but you could swipe right, select a celebrity, find out how much it would cost to book them at your event, and then the celebrity could either swipe left or swipe right if they're going to do it. I don't know. Anyway, that was the idea behind it. So they had 
people working on the fire app the same time as they had people working on the fire festival. This is the thing about Billy McFarland. He was very good at getting things from people. He was very good at getting a lot of money too, really fast. But I think it's just because he kept borrowing it from everywhere. He kept taking more and more money from investors and just building so much debt. And that's what he did when he tried to put together the fire festival, as you'll see, or already saw in the documentaries. It's all just money that's promised, but it's never actually delivered. He has the entire island in the Bahamas working to build this festival, and he didn't pay any of them for it. I mean, maybe he paid a little bit, but certainly not as much as they deserved for working 24 hours to try and set this up so fast. Oh, and they lost that original island, the, the beautiful island where they made the promotion video. The only stipulation they had was the owner of the island told them not to mention Pablo Escobar because they were trying to get away from that reputation. And so the first thing you see in the promotion video is party on an island once owned by Pablo Escobar. So they kicked him off the island. So then they had to go to a different island, which was probably a better location because it had more facilities on the bigger island. And then they had to build the festival from scratch there, which all the locals were doing, and he never paid them. It's just sad, just taking advantage of so many people. And the hard part is when you have someone who's just super full of shit, there's always people around them that are the opposite. Bullshitters always have a bunch of like doers and responsible people that they keep around because those are the people that follow through on whatever the bullshit person says. So they they build like a team of reliable people so they can just push their bullshit ideas on others and then have their team pick up the slack. And you kind of see how Billy has done that in the documentaries. Which leads us to Andy, who is my favorite. I would want him on any team. He is 100% ride or die Billy. He's been with Billy since Magnesis, and I think he has bailed him out of so many different problems, and he is just 100% a problem solver. And he's the one you remember from the Netflix documentary because there was an issue with the water and they were having trouble getting the water out of customs on the island. So everyone remembers Andy because of what happened from that. Billy calls Andy. Well, you know the story. Billy called and said, Andy, we need you to take one big thing for the team. And I said, oh my gosh, I've been taking something for the team every day. He said, well, you're our wonderful gay leader and we need you to go down. Will you suck dick to fix this water problem? And I said, Billy, what? He said, Andy, if you will go down and suck Cunningham's dick, who's the head of customs, and get him to clear all of the containers with water, you will save this festival. 
Okay, here's where I wanted the movie to take a big turn. I wanted Andy to be like, fuck you, Billy. It's your big mouth that got us into this situation. Because you can't shut your mouth. Why don't you take that big mouth down to customs and you get our water back? Why do you expect me to do it just because I'm the gay producer? I wanted Andy to just rip into Billy and just tell him he can't act like this anymore. But that's not what happened. Literally drove home, took a shower. I, 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 I drank some mouthwash. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really, and I got into my car to drive across the island to take one for the team. And I got to his office fully prepared to suck his dick. Oh my God. Thankfully, Andy didn't have to do that. But wow, what a trooper is he? That's just so crazy. And how does Billy think that's a good idea? Ugh. Billy's not good at problem solving, I don't think. I'm just gathering that. So anyway, wire fraud. Billy gets busted for wire fraud because, oh my God, so many people are out of money because of this festival. And he gets out on bail, like you do when you're a scammer. And so what does he do when he's out on bail? He goes right back to scamming. He takes the email list of all the people who signed up to go to Fire Festival and sends out discount tickets to like the Met Gala, which you can't even get tickets to, and Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, and all these other events around New York City. And it's under a different name. He's at least not that stupid. He uses someone else's name. But they find out that it's really Billy behind it all. So then Billy gets busted, taken straight to jail, and he's sentenced for six years. So right now, Billy McFarland is in jail. And he's actually teaching inmates how to make uh, music. So that's a good hobby for him. Maybe that'll get him away from scamming. We can hope. And the best part is he has an extremely hot girlfriend waiting for him when he gets out of jail. And they show her in the Hulu documentary and she is gorgeous. She's a Russian model. And she met him after the whole fire Festival disaster. And she saw it online and still continued to see him and be in madly in love with him. And they talked to her and she said, Oh, Billy's just the sweetest. He's the greatest guy. I can't do a Russian accent, but I can do a delusional girl accent because, of course, I have that voice in my head. Oh, he's the greatest. Oh, it's okay that he scammed thousands of people. I'm sure he's better now. That's what happens. When a woman just loves you, she will overlook everything else. So, guess he gets a happy ending somewhere in the future. The nice part about the documentaries are, because of it, 
The one on Netflix shows this wonderful restaurant owner who paid her employees out of her own savings account. And after that documentary was released, a GoFundMe was set up. In the movie, she says she lost $50,000. In two weeks, the GoFundMe raised $200,000 for her to recover her expenses. So that's a that's a positive thing to come out of the documentary. So I like that. And the rest is just, if it's too good to be true, you know, it's that type of thing. And a lot of people could sense disaster before the fire Festival even happened. Billy even knew it was going to be a disaster, and he actually called the promotion company they originally had to film the footage on the island for the promotional video and told them that they need to start working on a recovery documentary for after everything falls apart. Instead of trying to save the festival or maybe just cancel and refund money and not make it this bad, he just thought, we'll just make a documentary about the disaster. So he already knew it was going to be a problem. But he still just let it happen. And Fire Media, the Fire Festival people, there were a lot of messages being sent to the website, to the Instagram, to the Twitter, asking questions before the festival because people were worried. I haven't got my confirmation yet. What's going on with this? What's going on with that? And the instructions to the fire team was to, well, first they were supposed to just tell him to email this concierge at Fire Festival or something, but of course that wouldn't get answered, so they'd just write back. And then the Fire Festival team started deleting any posts that were negative, and they started flagging certain words if they would come up in the same post as a post that said something about Fire Festival. So there was also a cover-up going on while there was so much advertising going on for the festival. So they were just pushing the festival and at the same time covering up anything that people were questioning about the festival. And this all happened before the actual festival. Again, they could have stopped this. They could have prevented this whole disaster, but they were too busy covering their tracks. And... Billy was just going to be out so much money anyway, I think he just felt like he had to make it happen no matter what. And now, here we are! And they just kept pushing ways to get more money. They even told the people who had already bought their tickets, already bought their bullshit villas, because they were making people pay so much for villas, and they didn't even have villas, they just had FEMA disaster tents that they put up on the island. So they were lying about everything. So they were getting money from that, and then on top of that, they sent out an email that everybody has to purchase a wristband that they can load with money because it's going to be a cash-free event. And the people on the island aren't even sure if the Wi-Fi is going to work enough to use wristbands as forms of payment. So that's another just complete scam. And just off the wristbands, they raised $2 million from people just putting money on the wristbands. Terrible, terrible. 
In the words of Ja Rule, no one died, which is good. But so many people were out so much money. And it's just a terrible situation all the way around. Everyone on that island, they were working like crazy and they didn't get paid for it. Such a ridiculous mess. But like I said, Billy McFarlane serving his time six whole years. And that's a long time to think up some new scams, so we'll see what he gets up to as soon as he gets out. So to market the Fire Festival, they used a lot of propaganda. Obviously the promotional video is a good example of bandwagoning, making people want to go somewhere, want to be a part of this party, want to be a big part of this music festival, be with all these influencers. And I think in the social media marketing campaign they used a lot of card stacking because they were really promoting the good and how much fun the music festival was going to be while deleting and covering up any kind of negative posts or criticism about the festival being bullshit. Which is actually how the Hulu documentary got its name, Fire Fraud. Calvin Wells started to notice that the Fire Festival seemed like a bullshit music festival, and he tried to be a whistleblower. He started a Twitter page called Fire Fraud, and posted, this is a scam, this is a total fraud, don't put your money into this. No one listened. And he even put an article in the Wall Street Journal about it and thought, okay, this is going to clear it up. It'll solve everything. People will know it's a scam. Nope. They were able to counteract everything because, like I said, this all happened because of incredible marketing. Fuck Jerry Media did a really good job. Not saying they're responsible for what happened, but... They did an incredible job of making sure it happened. They should start becoming a catfish company. They're already under a lot of scrutiny because I guess they've been stealing content from other creators and saying it's their own. So they might have some other problems going on. But if you want to catfish someone, I suggest you hire them because they can do an incredible job of lying on the internet. So Jaw Rule actually is going to be a part of another music festival this year in May. It's called the Lovers and Friends Festival. It's going to feature R&B from the 90s and early 2000s. And the lineup looks pretty incredible. It's Lauryn Hill, Usher, Ludacris, Lil Jon, of course Ja Rule, a whole bunch of others. It's a great big flyer with a ton of people. But... There's also been a lot of questions raised because, of course, Ja Rule's on the bill. He's not responsible for putting it all together, but people hear his name now and they're going to think Fire Festival. So there's a lot of posts online of, did I just get fired? Referring to, you know, getting scammed like Fire Festival. Because Little Kim's on the bill, but she put on her Instagram in a story which is now taken down. She posted a picture of the flyer and wrote across the top of it, This is so fake, I am not a part of this. 
But then Snoop Dogg sent her a reply video on Instagram asking how they could get her this money. So seems like he was trying to do some recovery work there and that it might be a real festival. However, there's some scheduling conflicts. T-Pain and Megan the Stallion are going to be performing across the country at other venues on the same day, but they're still on the flyer. And Mace said, best wishes on the show. Please take my name off the flyer. So there's some complications. However, it's going to be in Los Angeles, so it's not like they have to set up a whole music festival on some remote island or something crazy like that. And it's put together by Golden Voice, which is the company that put Coachella together. And Golden Voice says that their festival is 100% confirmed. So Lovers and Friends Festival hopefully will not be a repeat of the fire festival so far it seems like it's going to be happening just fine and that'll take place in may 2020 thank you so much for listening this has been a blast Those two documentaries blew my mind. And I do love a music festival, so I can't blame anyone for wanting to go to something like that, especially in the Bahamas. Who doesn't want to go to the Bahamas? I really appreciate you listening, though. Wherever you're listening to this, please give me a review. Give me a really good one, because I am really new, and I need those stars. This has been Reality Key, the deprogramming program. Take care.